Let's uh, continue in, in, uh, in our uh, studies of the book of Joshua. We've been studying the, uh, or taking really a journey with Joshua. And we, we have seen the people of Israel go from the Egypt phase to where they were slaves to the desert phase where they were wandering around and then the transitional phase of the Jordan River when they crossed into the promised land. And now we've moved into that conquest phase and we've been focusing on the last several weeks uh, on the, uh, the, really the phase one of that, which was, was Jericho, the first city. And uh, now we've seen a new generation of Israelites conquering the enemies of the Lord. We're conquering Jericho. And it wasn't by might, it wasn't by power, it wasn't by some great strategic decision on the part of the leaders. But we saw it happen because they were obedient to what God had told them to do. They followed God's instruction, even though those instructions may have seemed pretty odd. And we saw that, that God brought down the walls. But you know, it was right in the midst of this. We read it over the, uh, over the last few weeks. We kind of read over it briefly, but it was right in the midst of this that God gave them a test of their faith. He built a test of their faith right into the, experiencing, uh, the experience of conquering the walls of Jericho. I don't know if you caught it, but, I, but uh, there was a test of faith. When I think of tests of faith, I can't help but think of an experience that I had at Lake Ann Baptist Camp called the trust fall. Has anyone here ever had done a trust fall? All right, some of Youth and sponsors of youth. Okay, good, good for you guys. All right. There's a reason why they don't have all of us do it, right? Uh, but the trust fall basically is where you stand on some kind of a log or some kind of a plank and you stand backwards. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. But you, you put your arms usually like this and you lean backwards. And so you have a team of people behind you and they, they uh, have their hands out and they catch you. And really, if you do it with a, a, a group of people that are trustworthy, it's a great experience. <laughs> I, unfortunately, um, was in ninth grade, and uh, one of the friends I really wanted to hang out with at camp that summer was in eighth grade, and they didn't have Fresh Start yet, so, um, um, so I decided to go back one year for camp and just so I could hang out with my friend, and so I was by far the largest kid in my group, and each of the kids in, the, in my cabin thought, well, if I back away, I'm sure everyone else can catch him. So, so I, it, it wasn't such a great event for me. <laughs> but in theory, it, it's, 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 a, it's a, an experience where you have to put your trust into people who are trustworthy. And if they're trustworthy, then guess what? Trust is built. And you trust them even more. And I'll tell you one thing that I've experienced, that no matter how trustworthy people are, I've never found anyone more trustworthy than God himself. Amen. He has never let me down. He has always caught me. He is constantly there, and he is trustworthy. Well, we look at this, uh, this test of faith, and we're going to look at uh, Judges chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, and we'll see this test of faith that the Lord put right into this, uh, into this victory. Verse 18. In fact, I'll go to verse 17 just to catch the context so we remember where we were. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Now we come to today's verse. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. 
here we find two, really two parts to this test of faith. The first part we'll call the accursed things, and the second part we'll call the, uh, the consecrated things. The, the accursed things being found in verse 18, and the, the consecrated things being found in verse 19. But at first it's important to understand that this word accursed, uh, it comes from the Hebrew word, which is charm, or charm, if you can pronounce it right, if you have that guttural sound that you can make. And the word just means secluded. It means to seclude something. It's, it's to make it separate. So in this context, it can be separated for something good, or it can be separated for something bad. And, uh, and so really, the word accursed could cover both of these categories. And uh, that's important as we go into next week, as we get into chapter 7, because it's, this topic is going to come back up. But it's kind of like the word New York. New York can refer to the state, or it can refer to a small part of that state. The word accursed can mean things that are set apart for destruction, or it can mean things that are set apart in the sense of being consecrated. Um, I believe some of the translations that, uh, that some of you are carrying might use the word uh, devoted things, um, and that's a perfectly good translation as well. I have the new King James with me, and it says accursed things. But we're going to look at the accursed things and the consecrated things, and why this is a test of the faith of the Israelites. And see how we can learn something from that. Let's start with the accursed things. The accursed things actually has its roots all the way back into the book of Deuteronomy. That's the first time we find uh, an, an explanation of what the accursed things are. But it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 22, we read, And the Lord your God will drive out the nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of, of the field become too numerous for you. Let me just stop there for a moment. Who is going to drive out the enemies of God? The Lord was going to drive out the enemies. All right. and, and who was unable to do it on their own, according to this verse, third line? The Israelites. I think it's important to catch that as God is introducing this topic of accursed things, we find that concept Right there, verse 23. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. Again, we see the credit going to God. Verse 24. And he will deliver their kings into your hand and you, and, uh, you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. And in, in verse 24, we see the human perspective from a human side who's doing it. It's the Israelites. But it's, you can see how this can become a difficult concept to understand. The moment that the Israelites start having victory, there might be that temptation to start taking credit for the victory, right? And so God wants to remind them, it's really not you that's driving out the inhabitants of Canaan. It's really God. Then we find what the accursed things are all about, starting in verse 25. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. It goes on to say in verse 26, Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. It is an accursed thing. What is the whole point behind this concept of accursed things? Things that God said you cannot allow into your homes. Well, the, the part of the point was that we need to remember that it was God who has provided. 
you know, uh, when they were taking over the, the people in the land of Canaan, they had a series of gods that they worshipped. Most of them were Baal-related gods. They worshipped Baal. Um, it's a fertility cult. Um, it's a it's a very it's a very uh, dirty cult, I guess you could say. And uh, and and so they they worshipped the Baals. They worshipped the moon. The very uh, name of the city Jericho means the moon city. Um, and they come from a long descendant of moon worshippers. And uh, and they worshipped the moon. It could be tempting for the Israelites when they come in to take of the plunder, to take of the gold and the silver. And immediately start thinking, wow, look what we have done. Taking credit for it. And God is saying, don't take the accursed things. Another part that we saw in there is that they shouldn't take the accursed things. Why? To keep people, God's people, from turning to idols. You know, there's something inside us as human beings that we become, what's the word for it? Uh, We become, we value things based upon the intrinsic value in fact, we, we become impressed many times by the intrinsic value of things, of possessions. Do we not? Yes. And so, so it could happen where they come into a land and they have beautiful statues with gold and silver, precious metals. And by nature, by human nature, we become impressed by those things. And God is saying, you should not be impressed by those things. Don't be impressed by the gods. Those were false gods. They led you astray. They led you away from the creator of the universe. And he said, don't even let them in your house because you too will become impressed. And your future generations will turn from me and they will follow after other gods. It's a shame to think that that's the way we are. But guess what? Are we any different? Are there people today that that become impressed by the rich? And famous? Yeah, we, we, we do. In fact, um, I'd like to show you just a, a picture um, in just a moment. Here are some of the, uh, the gods that, we, that, that they found in the land of Canaan. Uh, most of them are Baal, um, and they're covered with gold. To the, to the Israelites, coming out of 40 years in the desert, living off of manna, just the thought of being rich again. Do you realize what a temptation that could be for them? And God said, don't even touch it. Don't bring it into your houses. Because of what it represents. And it could take their emphasis off of God, who really provided the victory, and onto what the world has to offer. This is a picture of a basilica in Yamasukro and uh, the Ivory Coast in Africa. Um, it is actually the largest basilica in the world. Believe it or not, it's larger than the Basilica in St. Petersburg. It is huge. You can, you can see those two buildings in the, the bottom. Both of those are, are huge. You could play football in the front lawn of either one of those. Huge building. And on a missions trip, uh, we visited the Basilica in Yamasukro. And uh, we had a tour guide take us through. And, and he walked us through this impressive building. As far as buildings go, I don't think I've ever seen a building as impressive as this. And I forgot exactly how many people uh, would fit inside the, uh, the basilica. But did you know they have an individual air conditioning unit for every seat in the entire basilica? You need it in Africa too, right? But there it was. And everything, it just seemed like everything was laden with gold. And, I, and I'll never forget what the, the man, who, the guide, was, who was leading us through this said. 
he said, you know, I've never really been a religious man, but when I come inside here, this is a spiritual experience. This is how I knew I was standing in the presence of God. What was going on? He was impressed by the intrinsic value of things that he totally lost sight of the Creator. And I'll tell you what, we are right now standing or sitting in the presence of God. We don't need gold. We don't need all of those things because God is with us. Where did God choose to live with the people of Israel up to this point? In a tent. In a tent. Remember when David wanted to build him a building and, uh, and God said, no, I am content right now to continue living in a tent. I will let one of your offspring uh, build a place for me, but I'm content right where I'm at. Why? Because the people still needed to learn that lesson. It's not about how much you can get. It's about who you're with. And you're about, it's about the presence of God in that sense. And that is something that they needed to understand. And this was something that God knew that they would fall into. So he, so he told them, you have to stay away from the accursed things. So for an application of this first point, what are our accursed things? What are the things that God has told us that we can't touch? What are the things uh, that, that, uh, that we should not allow into our lives? The first one is anything that causes us to live independently of God. Anything that's going to cause us to fall into the very sin that God was telling them he didn't want them to fall into, and that is to live independently of God. The moment that we think, okay, Lord, uh, we can take it over from here, we're in trouble. But how many times God provides us with everything we need, and then we think, okay, I can take it over from here. I was watching a cartoon with my son uh, last night, and in it there was a, this professional surfboard penguin. If you can, if, I know it, makes, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but a, <laughs> but a surfboard penguin, and he's making this surfboard, and he's showing this young, new, up-and-coming surfer how to make the surfboard, and he just kept saying, oh, yeah, let me try it now, let me try, I can take it over from here. And then he tries to take it over, and he gets it, and he throws it out in the water, and the first time he jumps onto it, it splits in half, right? Because he didn't know how to do it. How many times are we like that in our Christian lives, where the Lord provides, the Lord gives us what we need, and we say, thank you, Lord, but I can handle it from here. Right? Right. Anything, anything that causes us to live like that is something we need to get rid of in our lives. I'm just going to give one very practical example. Uh, how about credit cards? I'm not saying that it's always wrong to have a credit card. If you can use a credit card, sometimes it's just safer to have something like that in your wallet as opposed to carrying a bunch of cash. And, you know, but if you're paying it off at the end of every month and, and you're not using it uh, in the way I'm going to describe, that's one thing. And so I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But can a credit card become an accursed thing? Yeah. I think it can. It can become an accursed thing simply when when the Lord brings something into our life, uh, into our life, maybe uh, some kind of obstacle where we can no longer lean on ourselves, but we're going to have to lean on Him. And we have to say, Lord, I don't have an answer to this. I don't know how we're going to do this. And, and the Lord does that so we can lean on Him. Maybe it's so we can lean on other people in the church. And it's God's way of building relationships in the church. And as I have a need, someone hits my, hits, helps me with my need. And as they have a need, I can help them with their need. And it's all part of the community of Christ that builds relationships. And God, it's a good thing. But instead of learning all of those things, and instead of receiving all the real blessings that God has for me, what, what can I easily do? Pull out the credit card, pay for it, and hope that God provides with interest in the future. Right? 
But in my heart of hearts, what am I doing? I'm saying, Lord, I got this covered. I don't need you. There were many times uh, in, early on in our marriage where we thought, you know what, the Lord provided an answer. We went straight to the credit card first. And we've never been uh, uh, a couple to try and rate to, to get debt. We would fight to get rid of any kind of debt that we had. Um, but, but even then, there were times where we would make the rash decision and, and suffer the consequences because we needed something. And then God would have provided if we had just waited a little bit longer. Anyone else been in that boat? And, uh, and anything that we allow in our lives, anything that we allow in our lives that causes us to live independently of God, that's a curse. We should get rid of it. I like to, uh, to think, well, how do we figure that out? How do we know what it is? And so I like to use the leaning illustration. So for that, I'm going to grab just a little stool from back here. This is, it's just a little stool. Right now, am I touching the stool? Am I leaning on the stool? No, I'm not. And so if someone were to sneak up behind me and yank this stool away, am I going to fall down? No, I'm not. However... Okay, Let's see if hopefully this will hold. All right. I should, I should try this ahead of time, right? Right now, am I leaning on the stool? Yes. If someone were to yank that stool away from me right now, what would happen to me right now? Exactly. I would fall. Anytime you're leaning on something other than God, then what will happen when it gets taken away? You fall apart. And I think so many times there are things in our lives that we are leaning on. We can lean on that credit card and say, well, we need the credit card. But the moment that it's taken away, oh, we fall apart, right? Uh, maybe you're leaning on a great job that you have. Sometimes God will take those things away just because he catches us leaning on things beside him. And he'll take those things away so that we can learn to get up and, and lean only on him. Does that make sense? Um, last week, um, uh, last week, Cam, who is the, uh, the guy all the way on the right, uh, spoke here. And you also heard a testimony by the man in the middle. He's one of the pastors at Iglesia Bautista La Fe in Cuenca, Ecuador. Uh, but the man in the middle, the tall guy there, shared a, a quick testimony on a video that you heard. That's what you did hear. What you didn't hear is, is the backstory. You did hear that he gave up his job so he could work in the church. Cam never told you what his job was. But here's a little bit of a background story. Is it okay if I share, share that with you? Yeah. He, uh, before coming to Christ, was an intelligent man, great businessman, and he built up a business. Uh, he would uh, design buildings, and he did such a great job that he quickly became a millionaire. Okay. During that process, he, he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and, and his value system was completely changed. And there was a test in his life because he decided to give up that business and he wanted to start a completely different business. So he sold his business with the, with the intent of purchasing another business. But there was a period of a few days where all of his money would be in the bank. It was during those periods that the government came out and said, we are now bankrupt. Every property you own is yours, but anything you have in the bank is ours. Imagine that for a second. I mean, we think our, our government's corrupt, and this is what happened. True story. This is what happened to him. And, uh, and Cam thought, oh, man, this guy's life just fell apart, right? This guy's life just fell apart. And so he, came, he saw him the next Sunday in church, and he was happy. 
he had a smile on his face, and Cam said, uh, I heard about what happened. Uh, tell, me, tell me a little about it. And he just said, you know what? Uh, it's God's money, and uh, he's, the one I take, he's the one who's going to take care of me. So easy come, easy go. Think about that. Easy come, easy go. And he was willing to give it up. Why? Because God was the one who provided for him. He figured God will continue providing for him. Amen? Amen. He, the test was there. He wasn't leaning on it. The chair was pulled away. The stool, the stool was pulled away, and he didn't fall. I think we need to think through the, some of the things in our lives and give it the, the stool test and see. That sounds bad, the stool test. <laughs> Let's, let's say the chair test, sorry, is that what? <laughs> Every time I try to give a stool test, I, it's, that's not a pleasant thing. All right, anyway. But we do need to look at the things in our lives, don't we? And say, what am I leaning on besides God? Because it's accursed. If it's going to cause us to live independently of God. And uh, I will say this for, for, for uh, Cesar, the man in, in the story. Um, he worked his way back. The last time I was supposed to meet him at his house, he was a little bit late. He came in. He said, I'm so sorry, but my meeting with the president went a lot longer than I thought it would. And, like, the president of what? No, the, the president of the country. I mean, he, God has put him in, way, in situations where he just keeps rising up and building him up and doing great things. And, and now he's willing to give it up again so he could be involved in pastoring his church. Isn't that amazing? Amen. It lets us know where, where, where things really lie. Uh, so anything that causes us to live independently of God, and secondly, uh, cursed things, are anything that would turn our hearts away from God. You know, they, for, for the Israelites, it was the remnants of the gods that were worshipped before they came in. The gods of our culture are very different. We don't have names to them, per se, but the gods of our culture are power, prestige, popularity, pleasure... Those are the gods of our culture. Are the remnants of the gods of our culture still in existence today? Yes, they are. And there are things that we need to make sure we leave out of our life. Anything that is going to turn our hearts away from God, we've got to get rid of those things. They're cursed, and they will turn our hearts away from God. Secondly, we talked about the cursed things, but uh, we find in verse 19, we find some of the consecrated things. So let's... Let's take a look at the consecrated things in verse 19 of chapter 6. It says, But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So now we're talking about all the precious metals, all the things that had nothing to do with the gods before them. They were just the gold and the silver, all the precious metals that existed in the town of Jericho. And God said to them, Don't take any of it. Put all of that, 100% of that, into the treasury of the Lord. Now that sounds easy as you're reading it in black and white on a piece of paper, but put yourself into the shoes of the Israelites who for an entire generation have wandered in a wilderness. They finally have an opportunity to, to get, some, to get some, uh, some possessions, to get some gold and silver, the plunder from the city. And what does God say to them? Don't take any of it. Now, does God say this? Uh, just uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. As we look at the rest of the story, does God say that for the rest of the book of Joshua, for the rest of the cities? No. He says that only about the city of Jericho. God had things in store for them beyond what they could imagine, but God told them right now, first thing first, you've got to learn a lesson. 
So don't take any of the plunder of the first city. This is really a concept that we, we call all through Scripture. It's the concept of the first fruits. The concept of first fruits. But to, to look into this concept a little bit more, let's look at, uh, at uh, Leviticus 23, where we first find it. Leviticus 23, um, verses 9 through 14, we read this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. And the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. It's called a wave offering, where they basically do the waves, but with the, with the grain in the air. Right? Verse 12, And you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord. For a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one fourth of a hin. You shall neither, or you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever, throughout your generations, in all of your dwellings. This is the this is the offering of the first fruits. The offering of the first fruits. We find this uh, this uh, in uh, in Scripture where they would take the first of their harvest and they would give it to the Lord. Why? Because when you give, a, give the first to the Lord, it's a test of your faith Amen. to see if you believe where the rest is going to come from. In fact, uh, oftentimes we can forget God's role because of our role in things. In fact, uh, um, in the principle of first fruits, we find that we give our first and our best to God to remember that God has provided it all. Amen. Amen. So that's what the, the principle of first fruits is. And so when they go into their first city, God says, don't touch any of it. Why? Because they can give their first and their best to the Lord to show that they believe that this victory and all other victories coming after that came from God. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 3 says, when you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce, not just the harvest, but of all that you produce, from the soil of the land uh, um, the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare to the Lord today, your, or, to, or excuse me, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. So what are they supposed to say during the time when they give the first fruits? I recognize that it is the Lord who brought us here. That's what it's all about. I recognize that this is not mine, it's not my doing, it's God's doing, and we oftentimes forget that. I don't know if we have any other James Stewart fans in here, but uh, uh, James Stewart was in a movie called Shenandoah, and he played the role of a man uh, in Shenandoah who had forgotten God's role in everything because of his role. So this is a prayer that, uh, that he prayed as they were getting ready. I believe it was their Thanksgiving dinner. But listen to, listen to his prayer for just a second here. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. 
Wow, strong words, right? Yep. And this is an old movie, right? But, uh, yeah, what can happen is when we work for something and we try for something, we can begin to think that God didn't have a role in that. And we have to avoid that. That's part of the reason for this whole concept of the first fruits. Last Thanksgiving, uh, I was asked, we were spending Thanksgiving with our family, um, extended family, uh, on Monica's side. They're not believers. I was asked to give a, a, a blessing before the food, just because one of, one of the family members is very, just to, have, just to be cordial, they asked me to pray before the meal. And so I thanked the Lord uh, for all that he had blessed us with. And one of the not as courteous members of the family said, as soon as I was done, I didn't see God in the kitchen when I was making this. Right? It's that same concept. And, uh, and if I could have thought a little faster on my feet, I would have said, I didn't see you putting sunshine on the on the plants that grew. I didn't see you create a turkey. <laughs> I didn't see you involved in any of those things. Um, I didn't think that fast on my feet. Of course, there's probably nicer ways to say all of that anyway. <laughs> but isn't it true how easily we forget God's role in the day-to-day things that we have? And, uh, and so that's why God gave us the principle of the first fruits. We give our first and best to God. We give our first and best to God to remember that it was God that provided us all. I'd like to focus on a couple other things. Part of the reason is we give, we give our best to God. Why? Because it helps us remember our place. Why do we give him the best? Why do we give him the best? Remember what it said in Exodus 23? Bring the best of the first fruits of the soil of the house to the house of the Lord your God. We don't bring him our leftovers. We bring him our best. And oftentimes we think, well, I'll take care of myself first. And then I'll do that. We saw that even when Solomon did build the temple. Uh, we saw that the temple of, or the, uh, the home for Solomon was 4.17 times larger than the home he was going to build for the Lord. Right? Gives you a little perspective. And um, we give him our leftovers. Um, and thirdly, we, we give our first. Because when we give our first, that's when it tests our faith. Remember uh, one more time in, in uh, chapter 23 of Leviticus, it said, You must not eat any bread or roast or roasted or new grain until the very day that you bring this offering to your God. What is the point? You can't partake of it until when? Until you've given it to the Lord first. You can't partake of it. So it's got to be the first fruits. That's why you give it to the Lord. And how many times do we think, well, let me just make sure I've got everything I need first. And then we then give it to the Lord. That's not the way we have to do that backwards. We have to flip that upside down and say, we'll give the first and best to God because we believe he's provided it. And he will continue to give us the best uh, or, or to give us what he wants to bless us with. In a nutshell, this is what it boils down to. We show evidence through our first fruits that we trust that God is the one who has provided in the present and that he will continue to provide in the future. That's the principle of first fruits. We see it applied in multiple ways. Um, we see it in the harvest, as we just read about in Leviticus 23. Uh, we see it in the, in the firstborns. Do you remember when God said, the firstborn of your children, you are to dedicate to him. We see that in the, uh, the book of Exodus and, and the Numbers. And then we actually see a, a transition take place later where he says, I will make a trade person for person. I'll make a trade for the tribe of Levi. And they became the first fruits of, of the people. And, uh, and we see that. We also see it now in Jericho. 
And in case we didn't get the idea, let's go back to the text in Joshua chapter 6 for a moment and uh, look at verses 26 and 27. It says, Then Joshua charged them at, the, at that time, saying, Cursed, same root word there, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. Now there's a curse, and he says, don't ever rebuild Jericho. Why? Because Jericho should be set apart as the first fruits. We can always look back at Jericho and say, look, there's nobody there. This was the first place that God gave us. And he said, if anyone ever attempts to build a city there, then his firstborn is going to die in the laying of the foundation of those gates. And the, his lastborn is going to die or I'm sorry, the foundations of it, and then the last one born is going to die as they put up the gates. We have to, if we fast forward a little bit into the, into the, uh, the, the story of uh, First and Second Kings, guess what? We do find a guy who is pompous enough to say, I'm going to rebuild Jericho. And guess what? His firstborn died in the foundation, and laying the foundation. It's all in the Bible. It's fantastic when you think about it, how, how God knew the future. And his lastborn died in setting up the gates. It happens. Why? Because God is all-powerful. The, the sooner we get that through our, our thick skulls sometimes, the better. It's God who provides everything. And anything that's going to get me off of that, uh, it, it, it help me not understand that, um, the sooner I, I, uh, I understand that concept, the better for me. And God will be ready to give us the blessings that he, he has in store. I don't know about you, but if someone could come and take this building away from us, and that's okay. If I see people getting saved, if I see people growing in their relationship, marriages restored, those are the blessings that we're after, amen? amen? Because we should not be impressed by the big things or the great things that the world has to offer, but we should be impressed by the God who offers us everything. And so, what about you today? What about you? Really, two questions with a couple of sub-questions to go with it. One is... Have you touched the accursed things? By that, what I'm asking is this. Is there anything in your life that allows you to live independently of God? Is there anything that wouldn't stand up to the chair test? That if, it were, if God were to yank it away from you today as a test, you would stand strong and you wouldn't fall down? That's, that's a gift from God. But the moment you say, yeah, boy, I would fall apart if God took that out of my life. And I want you to offer that to the Lord as a sacrifice today. And say, Lord, that's an accursed thing. I'm going to give it to you because I want to test or pass this test of faith. Uh, or secondly, uh, have you allowed things in your life that are turning your heart from God? Uh, you know, I can't help but think of, of the entertainment world and the, and the entertainment that comes on TV. Today. And there are things pulling for, for our attention every day. Are you willing to give that to the Lord and say, Lord, um, I'm going to take anything that is going to turn my heart away from you and I'm going to get rid of it. Whatever it might be, I'm going to get rid of it. Get rid of any occasion. Any of the things that I look at and I see and I say, wow, that reminds me of, of, of worms really on a hook that Satan has put out there for us to try and trap us into false, into false pleasure when God has blessings for us that go beyond what we can imagine. Is that you? Would you be willing today? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. And the second question is, 
have you kept the consecrated things? Have you kept the consecrated things? What I mean by that is, have you been giving God your best or just your leftovers? Of whatever your treasures are, maybe it's your time. Have you been giving God your best? Or do you tag on your time with God and into uh, the quickest, easiest part of the day? Or do you say, you know what, I'm going to give the best part of the day to the Lord. Maybe it's, maybe it's your finances. Uh, are you giving Him your best or are you just giving, well, this week I had a little bit left over. I'll throw, I'll throw a little bit in the offering plate. Or, uh, or what are you giving your best to God? When God has laid it on your heart, I'm not, not talking just about offerings at church, and, but when God has laid it on your heart for you to give generously to someone in need, in fact, if we look at the first fruits, they went not only to the priests and Levites, but they went to the foreigners, they went to the fatherless, and they went to the widows. And we've been given many opportunities this month for the Lord to lay it on our hearts to say, wow, I could help this ministry. I could help that ministry. I could, I could help provide a chainsaw so people can build churches, right? There are many opportunities uh, to, to be generous, whether it's with your time, your talents, your money, whatever it might be. Are you giving God your best, or are you giving Him your leftovers? And the last question, have you been giving God your first or your seconds? What I mean by that is, are you giving to God first and then yourself second, or have you been giving to yourself first and then God second? Because God wants to be the number one priority. Yes, He had provided Israel with a, with a beautiful victory in Jericho, but that's just one city. He wanted to give them the entire promised land. But before they moved from step one to step two, he wanted to make sure they understood this concept. You have to put God first and yourself second. And the moment you do, you'll find the joy of having the relationship with the all-powerful creator of the universe. Isn't that a blessing? Let's bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes. And let's, in fact, even stand together for just a moment. It's possible that there may be someone here who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And by all means, today I, I, I don't want you to leave this place without knowing that for sure. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can come talk to me. You can talk to any one of the pastors. Uh, but don't leave today without knowing that. But the focus today really was on the believers and the test of faith. And I want you to, to ask the Lord, Lord, if you were to test my faith today, how would I do? Are, are there any things that I'm allowing in my life that I need to sacrifice to you today? If that's you today, I just want to give you an opportunity as we sing and offer those things uh, to the Lord. As we come together and sing today, I want you to come to the front and just pray to the Lord. You don't have to tell us what they are. You don't have to expose what, what things you're struggling with. But take those things and say, Lord, I am surrendering those things to you. Whether it's an accursed thing that you're going to leave out or whether it's a consecrated thing you're going to surrender to him. Leave it to the Lord at the altar today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray that if there's anything that's keeping us from where we need to be with you, that we would surrender it to you today. That we would not let being embarrassed by having to walk in front of people or be embarrassed by, by anything that that we would mean business, Lord, that we would get serious and we would surrender those things to you. May we pass this test of faith, Lord, so that you can bless us in the ways that you want to bless us. 
instead of seeking pleasure in the things that the world has to offer, that it can only give short-term joy anyway. Don't let us be deceived by those things, but let us seek the things that really matter in life, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.